Our study today is entitled Neighbor Love. Neighbor Love. Who's your neighbor? <laughs> Who's your neighbor? Do you know who your neighbors are? Not really? No? You don't really know your neighbors, huh? You see them sometimes outside or when you go out your door in the morning. You, you might even say hello or, or at least a wave. <laughs> I know in our neighborhood, it's really sad. You know, not a lot of people are saying hello. Um, I, I go for my walks, you know, and, and as I'm walking and I see people in their driveway, I always greet them, good morning. And they kind of look at me like, why are you talking to me? You know, it's like, go away. Um, it's, so, it's so foreign um, that, that we think about even engaging sometimes with people. Um, it catches them off guard when you're being friendly to them or you even acknowledge their existence, right? Um, and that is so far from what God had planned for his people when he created human beings. He created human beings for community. He created us for connection. He created us so with a sense of um, a desire to belong. Okay, this is what God created us with. And, you know, when we're not even acknowledging other human beings, you could bet that there are so many lonely people in the world today, especially in the cities, right? Isn't that so backwards? In the place where there's so many people, that's probably where you'll find the most lonely people, right? A friendly smile goes a long way, doesn't it, right? A kind act of simply holding the door open or letting somebody in line in front of you, you know? It's like they acknowledge your existence somehow. But that just goes on for a little while. It just lasts a little while. Oh, that was nice of them. And you feel good for a bit. But imagine if we were to live in the way that God intended for human beings to live, in a deeper, more connected sort of community. All right? Like this is what... God really wants for his people. He wants us to, to learn to love. Learn to love. So in our study, Neighbor Love, today, we're going to be looking at a, a passage in Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. And we're looking at the greatest command and something that's called the royal law. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. How many of you have heard this passage before? All right, we talk about it a lot here, don't we? And um, it's really cool because these guys, these Pharisees, they're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to test him. They want to see, what, what do you really know? So they ask Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives them not one, but two, okay? And he says, well, you know what? The first one is love God with all your heart. Love God with everything that you have, right? That's the greatest commandment. But what we're looking at here is the second command. And Jesus, he, he, he brings it here. And the second commandment, he says, is like the first commandment. He's not saying that it's less than. He's not saying that it's, he's saying it is like the first commandment. 
and he couples these two commandments together. And we wonder, why are you doing that? Now, the second commandment, um, James writes about it and calls it the royal law. The second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. It, it doesn't only appear twice in the Bible. It appears at least eight times. Did you know that? At least eight times. And this is so important in Scripture. We know that because anytime there's something that's repeated in Scripture, God wants us to pay close attention to that. So when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, we got to ask ourselves a few questions. Who is my neighbor, first of all? Right? Your neighbor is not just the person living next door to you. It's anybody that comes into your zone throughout the day, around you. So anybody that you encounter throughout the day, that's your neighbor. Is your neighbor only the people that you like? No. It also includes the people that irritate you. Okay? Like, these are your neighbors. Whoever you come in contact with throughout the day, that's your neighbor. And the commandment says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you love yourself? I mean, how are we supposed to follow a command or appreciate God's command of loving your neighbor as yourself? Do you even love yourself? Do you care for yourself? I mean, come on, we're all born selfish, right? It's our human nature to be selfish. So you know how to love yourself, right? You feed your body, you clothe your body, you fix your hair, you brush your teeth, you, you give yourself sleep when you, you need it, you give yourself treats every now and then. Like, you love yourself, man. We know how to love ourselves. So can we love our neighbor as we love ourselves? Now, here's a command. And you stop and think about it, wait, well, how am I supposed to go out and feed everybody? You know, if I'm hungry, why should I go out and feed everybody? You know, or wait, I spent a lot of money on these nice clothes. I'm not going to spend the same money on anybody else to clothe them. You know, it's their fault that they didn't, you know. And we stop and think about this. We're not really loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Sometimes we think, well, I'm not being mean to them. I'm polite. I'm courteous. I'm civil. You know, I smile at my neighbors and I say good morning when I walk by their driveway. Does that mean I'm, I'm loving them? Or am I just being a nice guy? You know? Like, let's stop and think about what is Jesus really pulling here? We, we understand that loving God is of utmost importance, right? He created us. He's the almighty supreme being. He is life. And he gives us everything that we need for life and living. Of course we love God but the second is like it. Love your neighbor. You know, we read this passage and we skim over it, you know? And I don't think we've taken the time to truly appreciate it the way that Jesus wanted us to appreciate this verse. After he gives a second commandment, he doesn't stop there. Look, it says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We're going to be studying more about that through the study. But before we get to that, let me paint a little picture of what loving your neighbor as yourself kind of looks like. 
to be able to truly appreciate this at its deepest level, it would be ridding yourself of yourself. It would be like literally taking the skin off your body and wrapping your neighbor in that very skin. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? You know, God talks so much through the Bible. Actually, Christians talk so much about grace and love, right? We, we always throw around the words grace and love. But there's so much more in the Bible that God's trying to communicate. What does that love look like? What, is this, what else is attached to this grace? When we hear words like mercy, it helps us understand a little bit more. Mercy or compassion. See, compassion, it, it requires more of yourself, right? It requires a connecting with another person. The way that we've painted love today, it's kind of like, oh, well, I'm the source of all the love that I'm giving out. So at Christmas time, I'm going to buy gifts for all my friends because I love them and I want to show them, and that's fine. But you're the source of that love. And it's only dependent on what you're doing. Oh, well, I love them. I gave them a gift. Oh, well, I've done my part. Goodbye. It's almost like when we say we love God, and we're like, okay, I'll do my devotion today, and I'll go to church on Saturday, and I'll listen to some music. Okay, bye-bye. It's not love, man. We're just going through the motions, thinking that's what love looks like, right? But something like compassion and mercy, Jesus, his life demonstrated that for us. The times when Jesus would cry in the Bible. Remember when he went to see his friend Lazarus and his friend Lazarus was dead? It said that Jesus wept, but he didn't weep because Lazarus was dead. The Bible tells us that he saw Mary and Martha mourning and his heart was filled with compassion for them, and Jesus wept. See, there's something like sympathy and pity. Compassion requires mercy and pity and sympathy. It requires us to stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about the other person. It's not just trying to walk in somebody else's shoes. It's getting rid of myself and stopping so self-centered and wrap my life around that other person's life because you know what? They need it just as much as I do. Imagine if we all lived like that. There would be no lack. There would be no loneliness. There would be no more want. If we were living in the will of God, he wants us to love each other. He wants us to care for each other the way that we care for ourselves. If we think loving God is so important and we could forget about our neighbor, we've kind of got the whole thing wrong. Okay? Let's look at that royal law in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you this question. Do you struggle to do this? Forget about your neighbor down the street. Think about your closest relationships. Think about the people that you see the most throughout the week. Do you struggle with this? Do you love them as you love yourself? Okay. I mean, newly married couples might think they do. You know, oh, of course I love them. I give them everything, man. I'm like, oh, I'm so tired of it, but you know. <laughs> 
but it's true, right? Newly married couples, I love them so much, you know, I give up my free time, I give up time with my boys, you know, it's like instead of going to the game, I went to the ballet, you know, and we think that's love because we're sacrificing, we're letting go of ourselves, but we're not connecting with the other. You kind of see what I'm saying here? Do you struggle with this? Now, God made this a command so that we have to do it on purpose, so that we have to be intentional in doing it. But why does he want us to be intentional in doing this? Why is he drawing so much attention to it? Well, he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's look at that, the whole law and the prophets. We're going to be looking at another verse in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Some of you might have heard it called the golden rule. Okay, let's see what it says. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. What is the law and the prophets? However you want people to treat you, so treat them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The law and the prophets is what the Old Testament is referred to as, okay? Everything that God taught, all of Scripture before this point, was called the law and the prophets, okay? However you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. Notice that Jesus doesn't mention loving God here. Okay, that's assumed. But the golden rule depends on what went on before. That's why they have that word there, therefore. Does anyone have their Bible open there? Matthew 7, verse 12. Like, what comes before that? The golden rule depends on what went on before. It depends on our relationship to God as our Father, our Father who loves us, and He answers our prayers, and He gives us good things if we ask Him. See, it's all these things. If God does this for us, and we have this relationship with God, only from that understanding of what love is can we truly love our neighbor as ourselves. You can't love others if you haven't received love from the source of love himself. You get it? If you don't have the love of God, how are you loving others? You could be altruistic, you could be very moral, you could be doing good, nice things, but is it love? There's so many people that don't believe in God, but they believe in doing good, nice things in the world. You could do all the nice things, but if love isn't behind it all, it's worthless. Only the things of God is love. If you don't know the love of God, do all the nice things you want out in the world. Yeah, people will benefit, I'm sure. But is the love of God reaching them? See, some people start talking about being saved and they, they're talking about salvation and good works and it's not about any of that, you know? You can't save yourself by your good works, okay? But somehow, even when we signed up as Christians, 
it's kind of like we still stop and think, well, I need to do more good. I have to do more good. And we're thinking about it, but we don't actually do anything, you know? And we're thinking about it because I don't want to be a bad person. I'm supposed to be a good Christian, so let me do more Christian-like things. Not Christ-like, Christian-like, you know? And, and we become like cultural Christians, but not real Christ-following Christians, you know? You don't owe anything to anybody. Look at what it says here in Romans 13, verses 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You see, loving God is invisible, right? Loving God is invisible. How do you show God that you love him? Do you bring him flowers, give him candies, take him to the movies? Like, how do you show God that you love him? How, how does anybody else know that you love God? They don't, because that's invisible. You know, there's like nothing for, for them to see. So if we say I'm all about God and it's all about me and God and I don't need anybody else, well, that's only half of what Jesus was talking about. He said these two commandments, they're coupled together, they're paired together. There's great importance in the second commandment, okay? Loving God is invisible, but loving our neighbor as we love ourselves is the visible expression and manifestation and practical completion and fulfillment of all that the Old Testament was about, including loving God. Isn't that cool? It's like, you know, we always talk about um, why do we water baptize? Well, we want to show the world that we love God, right? It's like there's this invisible thing that happens on the inside of you first, right? You hear about God, he touches your heart, and there's a conversion that happens in your soul. And you decide for yourself, I love God, I love Jesus, I'm, I want him to be my savior, and I'm giving my life to him. And you're like, you know what? That happened on the inside of you. But everybody around you still sees you. And they're like, oh, but that's just Tim. We know Tim. There's no way Tim, no, Tim didn't give his life to Jesus. No way. Look, he's still doing all that other stuff. And, you know, and we're looking at the person until Tim decides to get up in front of his friends and family and say, listen, I love Jesus and I want to show you how much I love him. So water baptism is just the physical expression of the invisible transformation that was starting to take place in your heart. So loving God, it's this invisible thing. If we want other people to know God and know his love, if we want to glorify God in all that we do, well, we glorify God, who is love, by doing what? Loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor. Maybe we don't know how to love our neighbor because we don't really love ourselves. 
it's like we don't even allow God to love us because we're afraid of love. What is this love going to do? Is it going to change me too much? I don't want to change. You know, and some people are afraid to be in that relationship with God. They're afraid to allow God to love them because they're like, I don't deserve that. No way. God doesn't love me. And, you know, we don't actually step into a relationship with him. We hear about it, and it sounds great, but we never step into it, you know? I see a lot of commercials for, like, vacations, you know, these, like, really cool getaways, and it looks really good, and it sounds amazing, and, oh, my heart wants to go there, but somehow I don't step on the plane. I never get to the vacation, you know? You hear about it, it's all good, but I never experienced it for myself. I think that's what it's like with God sometimes. It sounds too good to be true, and I wish I could get there, but for some reason, somebody says, hey, listen, I got you a ticket, man. This is for you. You don't owe me anything. That's, that's all. It's all done. It's all, you're ready to go. Just get on board. Isn't that what God did with us? Like he sent his son Jesus to make the path clear. He's like, listen, you don't have to prove to me that you love me. You don't have to try and keep all the rules. Just believe in Jesus because you know what? Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus is the way. He's your ticket. And you have him. If you say, I believe in Jesus, and you, you call him Lord and Savior, you hold him in your heart. Step into the relationship, man. It won't make a difference until you intentionally choose to step into the relationship. Only then can you start to experience the transforming love of God at work in your life. Only then can his spirit come into your life and lead you and guide you into all the good things. Then you could love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because if you deprive yourself of the love of God, friends, then the way you love other people is depriving them too. You see that? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is actually very heavy. This is very important. That's why Jesus put these two together for us. What does this have to do with the whole law and the prophets? depending on and hanging on love. Jesus said that the commandment to love God is greatest and foremost. He said that the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself is like it. In verse 40, he continues to say, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. He doesn't say that these two fulfill the law and the prophets or that they are the law and the prophets. He says that the law and the prophets depend on love. They hang on love. What does that mean? <laughs> See, this is the reverse of what those other texts were saying, those Matthew and Romans that we read earlier. 
They were saying that the law and the prophets lead to and find expression and fulfillment in love. So that the Old Testament would lead you to this place of love. That love is the end point. Okay? But Jesus takes that and he reverses it in a way. And he says that love leads to Love leads to and finds expression in the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets are hanging on or depending on something before them. What came before the Old Testament? What came before the law and the prophets? God's passion that this world, this history of mankind, be a world of love to God and radical other-oriented love to each other. God was there first before the Old Testament came along. God was there first, and the whole Old Testament is there to show us the heart of God, to show us God's passion. You understand what's going on here? I love that. God's passion that this world be a world of love to God and radical other-oriented love to each other. We're living in an age, you know, people are afraid to use the word tolerance, right? Because it's become a dirty word, right? But we're just supposed to accept everything and everybody around us just as they are because they're whining and complaining and we don't want them to whine and complain, so let's give them what they want. You know, um, little kids, I love when there are little young children that try and help me take care of my little kids, my babies. They come up and they see my daughter crying. My daughter's only like 20 months, right? So my daughter, she's not crying, she's whining. She's whining. And they, I see her holding a cookie in one hand and, and like jello in the other hand. I'm like, what's going on here? And other kids say, well, you know what? She wanted it, and I didn't want her to be mad at me. So, and she was crying, so I gave it to her. And I'm thinking, well, that, okay, I can't blame the kids for doing that because that's what we as society are doing now. People whine and complain enough, and we give in. But I want equality for this. I want equality for that. I want, you know... Okay, let's just give everybody a million dollars for playing a little basketball, you know? You whine and complain to get what you want, and you think when you get it, you think, yes, success, but that's not love. What are you, that's consumerism. That's taking whatever you could get. That's not knowing love. And we're using this stuff, all these things that we're crying out for, it's, it's not... It won't satisfy your soul. It won't satisfy that hunger and that longing for feeling loved and accepted. Okay? It, it won't give you a sense of connection to anybody. That's not love. There's so many addictions that people face today because the addictions fill the void. We have an emptiness and a pain inside us, and we don't realize that there's only one thing that's gonna satisfy that void, and it's being in relationship with God. 
It's knowing the love that could only come from God because God is love. So you don't need to fill up on the excitement and all these things that the world has to offer, you know. You don't even have to hop on a plane and go on a vacation all the time to feel alive. Just, you should feel alive because God is life and God is with you, right? I mean, when we have Jesus in our life, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me, right? So why should I want anything else? And if Christ is living in me, it's not for your own sake. It's for the sake of all mankind. What are you going to do with the life of Christ that's alive in you today? Are you going to take it and just be like, well, I'm good. Me and God, we're good. I'm going to go to heaven, but sorry, sorry about everybody else. No. See, that's invisible. Nobody would even know that you love God. You know, Jesus is uh, referred to as the word that became flesh, right? Let me ask you a question. Can you visibly see a word? Can you visibly see it? Here's the thing. With our physical eyes, can you physically see a word? Where does a word come from? What is a word? Is a word visible? <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Maybe you could see a word, other people can. Like some people see ghosts, others don't, right? But are words visible? No. No, words are not visible. Words are only representations of things. The letters on a page are just representations to communicate a, a thought. So a word is used to communicate a thought, and that communication can come in different ways. Usually through the ears, we hear a word, right? You could read a word, but you're still, you still have to interpret what you see, okay? But we can't visibly see a word because it's invisible. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then that word became flesh. Mm -hmm. Can you see flesh? Yes. Flesh is visible. Mm -hmm. Right? So Jesus came to earth as the word to communicate the thoughts of God mm -hmm. so that we could see the word in action. Mm -hmm. So that the thought could be communicated to us. And we're like, well, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. I don't see Jesus anymore. How am I supposed to know God's word? Well, guess what? After Jesus left, there was a promise that he gave that all who would believe, what would Jesus give? His spirit. And what does his spirit do? Whispers the secret thoughts of God to us. So we can't see that word, but we can know it in our soul. All right? God's spirit, we don't see his spirit, but it's in us, right? 
His Spirit lives in us. What are we going to do with that? How are we going to express the very purpose that God allowed His Spirit to dwell in human beings? If we say we follow Christ, then we live as Christ lived. We love our neighbors as we love ourselves. How did Jesus love? That's the question. <laughs> he took off his flesh, so to speak, and wrapped all mankind in that flesh so that when we choose to have him as our Lord and Savior, we die to our old self, and now we're wearing Christ all over us, you see. And it's not I that live, it's not my spirit and my desires and my will that gets to live out through this life. It's God's will and it's God's spirit. It's God's very life that makes you a new creation. What are you going to do, new creation? What are you going to do with your new heart? What are you going to do with this new spirit that's inside of you? You still get to choose. Now, yeah, it's not about following the law. But if the law and the prophets were there to express who God is, and God is living in us, then everything that we do, motivated by his spirit, guess what? It fulfills the law. Everything we do, motivated by God's spirit at work within us, okay? If we're following him, it means that we're trusting God and we're obeying God, right? We trust and we obey. And this law, there is still a law. It's a law of love. It's God's law because God is love. I mean, it's so simple, but we convolute it so much, okay? And we don't need all different types of doctrine. We don't need all these different things coming together. It's like, I can't make you see the word of God. I can't make you see it. It's for you to accept Jesus in your life first so that God will help you see it. Okay, he's going to make the invisible visible. How does God make the invisible visible through you? as you love your neighbor, when you love your neighbor as yourself, you're revealing the invisible kingdom of God. Where's God's kingdom? Is it real? Does God's kingdom exist? Do you see it? Where? You can see evidence that, you know, there's a rule and a reign and there are some people that are living in that way, you know, but it's like, where is it? You know, do they still call it the kingdom of, you know, um, what's that animal kingdom? I don't know. Or wild water kingdom. Maybe it's wild water kingdom I'm thinking of. If somebody asks you, where's wild water kingdom? Oh, it's down that street there. You know, it's right there. There's a kingdom there. It's called kingdom. And you could point it out and everybody knows where it is, but nobody has to go there, right? Where is the kingdom of God? Remember, back in the day, people were waiting for Jesus to establish a kingdom. 
for the Jews. You know, it's like give them back their land and build up this beautiful place for them. Let them be vindicated and give them a physical kingdom. But no, Jesus gives them an invisible kingdom, a kingdom that takes place in your heart. So where is God's kingdom today? It should be in your heart. Where God is king, where he rules and he reigns and he is sovereign and you are following because you are submitted and subjected to him. You are at his mercy. And that's the best place to be. Eh? Look at John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This was God displaying his love, communicating his love, giving us the greatest gift we could ever imagine. A love that only exists in your head, a love that only exists in your heart, but never expressed. It's kind of like faith. Faith without works is dead. Love is meant to be others-focused. It's not for you. Hey, how about that? We talk about God's love. Yes, God's love for me, for me, for me. Okay, keep consuming. Because it doesn't end with you, friends. It's like God's love, yes, pass through me, go through me. It's like, yeah, you know, use me, Lord, to spread your love in this world. It's like God's love, yes, I have more that I could give. Why? Because it's not coming from you. It's coming from God. And he wants to give this gift of love to all the people around you. So won't you be like Purilator or FedEx or Canada Post, you know, UPS, whatever, you know, it's like, be that guy. You know, what a joy it is. You know, I see my UPS delivery guys and they come up and they have a smile on their face because, you know, they're giving me my, my gift. I'm like, yes, I got, I finally got my delivery. And we smile and we Amazon Prime. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's fast. Uh, you know, and, and they're doing such a good thing, getting people connected with the things that they need, right? Well, imagine if we were all like these delivery people in the world. And the only gift that we need to deliver to the rest of the world is God's love. Then you just, you know what? You take it and you go. You take it and you go, but you let it process as well. Right? That package processes through you, and then you go out, you work it out, and you deliver it to somebody else. Hey? I mean, this comes just in time for Christmas, doesn't it? <laughs> One thing I like when you're talking about this unseen, um, invisible, what I always like to think of is like this kingdom of God, the love that he has, it's like the wind. Because it's something that we can't see. We know that it's there only because we see the evidence of it. And the only time that you know the wind is there is when it interacts with the physical world. When it blows the leaves, when it knocks signs, when you feel it on your face, when it interacts with the real world, then the wind becomes real. But if you're looking out the window, you can't see the wind. Like if, it's, if there's nothing there, then you can't see it. And so like what, you can hear it. You can hear it. Yeah. But you know, when you're outside and you feel that wind, it's just a good reminder that 
You know, that's how God, God's love works. If, there's, if it doesn't interact with anything, if you don't use it to interact with the world around you, no one else is going to be able to experience. The only way that they can experience is if you make it real for them. Awesome. Thank you for that. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 3 to 4. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in his flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, self-reliance, but according to the spirit, God-reliance. So fulfilling the law... Loving our neighbor as we love ourselves is not something we can do on our own. We do it by the Spirit of God. Amen? I love this. Jesus, before he left, he uh, left a new command, a new command he gives. Let's look at John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you, if you have love for one another. Sometimes it's easier to love people we don't know. Right? It's easier to show God's love to people we don't know. If they reject it, okay, whatever, I did a good deed, goodbye, you know? But, but, but what about loving people you do know? That's tough stuff, man. Let me tell you, my wife and I have been together 10 years. You know, and like we don't doubt that we love each other, but the way that we show our love for each other sometimes, man, it could get, it's hard, yeah. It could get ugly. The expression isn't always like on, you know, and the message doesn't always come through that you're still loved, you're still cherished, you're still valued, but it's hard, right? I'm not just talking about my wife anymore. I'm talking about just loving people that you know could be more difficult, all right? Yeah, it happens everywhere, man. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's when our flesh gets in the way, right? Absolutely. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, right? Let's look across the room today, friends. I mean, some of us have been coming here for quite some time, right? And how much love do we actually know? Like, how do, how do we love each other, you know? As a church, God gave us this place with these people that we get to journey with, you know? Um, how much love have we really experienced through one another? See, I don't want to come here and be like, okay, let's start going out into the world and start loving them. What? Because they're going to go, well, where's your faith community? This is my faith community. And you bring them along and nobody talks to you guys. It's like, wait, this is your faith community? Nobody even said hi. You know? Except the greeter at the front, you know? <laughs> That's why we don't have greeters, okay? <laughs> we don't have greeters here because it's forced, you know? No, no, like this is a perfect place for us to start practicing how to love each other, and not only here on Saturdays. That's why we say, you know what, have an access group, all right? Connect with people throughout the week. 
um, call each other, pray for each other, um, confess to one another when you're struggling so that you could pray for each other. You know, it's, it's like all these things, they work together. If, and we get to practice following God's leading and following all his commands in this new covenant, right, in this new testament, and we get to, to live that out. So, quick plug, having access groups or small groups, um, it's not a program, okay? It's an invitation to life, let me tell you. It's an invitation to life because without connection with God's church on a regular basis, you'll feel like something's missing in your life, right? But there's something so overwhelming and so fulfilling that can come when you start to journey through life with other believers. You might not always agree. You might not even like each other or have anything in common with each other. But you know what? If you're coming with the intention to know God and to start practicing following God's Spirit's leading in your life, only good will come of that group. There is blessing in that group, okay? Because you love God first, and then you love each other. And as you love each other, all these random people coming together, you know what? The world will know you are Christ's disciples because you look like a bunch of crazies. You look like a bunch of crazies. How do those guys, how do they know each other? How are they even friends, you know? It happens all the time. <laughs> You'll look crazy to the rest of the world. But the one common thing we have we have the same spirit of God that's alive in us. Let us glorify God with our bodies. Let us glorify him with everything we say and do. Let us be unified in a spirit of love, friends, so the rest of the world can know that we are his disciples and that our God is glorified above all things. In order for that greatest commandment to be filled, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, in order for that to be fulfilled, we have to be loving our neighbor as ourself. Okay. Do you love God? Yes. Yeah, you want to follow him? Yes. All right, let's live the way that he's calling us to live, friends. All right? Love God, love others. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good work and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So all of creation, all of redemption, all of history hang on these two great sovereign purposes of God, that humans love God with all our heart, and that from the overflow of that love, we love each other. God bless you all. Peace.